Hello and welcome to episode 4 of The Function Room, the podcast about the mathematics, the numbers, the sums that enrich, rule, run, sometimes ruin our lives and the universe around us. This week's episode is called Galaxy Brain and I'm talking to astrophysicist Dr. Eloise Stevens, all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. We're talking at the same time, but on different days of the week, which in itself is pretty cool. We talk TikTok viral videos, bald-headed football linesmen in Scotland, and how a thing called machine learning is helping people like Eloise find out the answer to life, the universe, and everything. And bonus information, what gender are stars? Dr. Eloise Stevens, welcome to The Function Room. Thank you so much, Colm, for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here today. And where are you today? I'm on the floor of my living room in Auckland, New Zealand. It's uh, just uh, past 11 11 a.m. on uh, Wednesday and um, just uh, waiting for the the day to begin, you know. And I'm here on Tuesday at after 10 p.m. Uh, waiting for the day to end. So I, I think this is the greatest time difference I've ever spoken to somebody. Thanks for joining me. What is it you do? Oh, that's, that's a big question. Sometimes I ask myself that question nearly every day, actually. Uh, so I'm actually technically a research fellow. Sorry, I'm your standard re- young researcher at a university. Um, and specifically, I'm an astronomer who studies how stars evolve. In particular, what I'm interested in is how stars evolve to become black holes, like binary black holes that merge, or binary neutron stars that merge. Because these... What does a binary mean in this sense? Binary means binary like two. So there's two of them, and they dance around each other. And as they dance around each other, they come closer and closer and closer together until they merge. And as they do that, as they dance around each other and get closer, they release what we call gravitational waves. And that's because the gravitational fields are just incredibly strong. And we can measure those gravitational waves that were observed for the first time five years ago. So it's a brand new field where, you know, we're combining all of our astronomer technologies, uh, all of our different types of telescopes to try and better understand where these come from. What's it like being in a new area? Because sometimes I wonder if, like, in lots of areas of maths, are you, like, on all, all the good stuff's already done? Or is it just, the, it's an infinite amount of learning to be done. Is it particularly exciting when even the phrase that is at the centre of your work, gravitational waves, is relatively new? So so that's very interesting because actually the word gravitational waves has been around for a while. It took them like decades to finally be able to observe them. But now that we can, it's um, our job as astronomers. So it's more the physicist-y kind of people that do the gravitational waves. It's very mathematically heavy. Um, and the astronomers are the people trying to understand how the stars give us those gravitational waves and now it's our job to pull together and bring our expertise of how stars evolve and live their lives and die to actually make it work with the observations that we now have that we didn't have five years ago and that's what's really interesting it's bringing together theory and observation and it's usually the trickiest part. Is gravitational waves an example of something where a few decades ago, somebody is doing some sums, some maths, and they're trying to make the left-hand side equal the right-hand side. And they're thinking, 
no, there's there's something else here, so I'm just going to call it D or G. Oh my god! And I'm, I'm going to wait for somebody to find it, and because it should be there, because otherwise this thing doesn't add up. And then you get a better telescope, and then you find the thing. Is is that an example, or have I got it wrong? <laughs> I'm not sure algebra is the way to go for this one, but gravitational waves were definitely a mathematic a product of mathematics before they were observed. They're a product of uh, Einstein's fear of gravity uh, and our understanding of how that works and how um, celestial bodies uh, interact with, you know, uh, the fabric of space-time. So it was absolutely a, a mathematical. Uh, there was absolutely a mathematical understanding before there was an observation and there needed to be a mathematical understanding before there was an observation because the facilities that allow allow us to see, uh, well, see, quote, unquote, see, really, uh, those gravitational waves are very technologically advanced. They are very expensive. It took decades to get them to where they are because the sort of things they're trying to detect are tiny. So they're trying to detect changes in distance that are of the order of 10 to the minus 21 meters. That's okay. uh, 0. 0.0000 at 21 zeros and then the one at the end, meters. Okay. It's, it's incredibly small. And if you don't have your theory just on point, there's no way you can find these by chance. I find the idea that you could predict with mathematics, albeit very hard mathematics and not uh, an F and X and a few deltas, but something more complicated than that. But the idea that you could predict with pen and paper something that's happening 13 billion years ago or right now, but 13 billion years away, I find that magic. Do you, do you find that magic? Absolutely. Uh, especially because, so I understand stellar evolution, but gravitational waves themselves and, and general relativity is very is mathematically very, um, very advanced. And I actually uh, haven't done the advanced part of this area of physics. So it is magic to me because I don't understand the nitty gritty of it. I, just, I understand the big picture. I understand enough to do my job. But all of the details, it's like, how do people even cope with that? Um and I like that there are loads of areas of like even within astronomy and physics that remain magic to me and where I can have, you know, the, 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 the mindset of a child and just look at it in wonder because it's not just a bunch of line of codes or, or equations that I have had to struggle with. I get to just enjoy the fun of it. Interesting. Just picking up on, on talking about the mind of a child because I have a five-year-old daughter and I'm not trying to make her learn maths or anything, but I'm always curious as to when we talk about numbers and you know, I'm I'm counting with her and it's really weird going back to the basis of counting a number and then thinking, what is a number anyway? Like what it is something that it represents. And and, you know, I've been I've done engineering in college and at no point was I thinking like that. I was going through the motions, but it's only going right back to basics that you start going, what the hell is this stuff? And the reason I know you online is because of our reply video. Uh, mm -hmm. that you posted to a viral TikTok earlier this year, a uh, 16-year-old US high school student called Gracie Cunningham. And she posed pretty simple, but it turns out big questions about maths. Let's just listen to a few of those now. I was just doing my makeup for work and I just wanted to tell you guys about how I don't think math is real. 
and I know that like it's real because we all like learn it in school or whatever but who came up with this concept and you're like Pythagoras but how how did he come up with this he was living in like the I don't know whenever he was living but it was not now where you can like have technology and stuff you know like he didn't even have plumbing and he was like let me worry about y equals mx plus b which first of all how would you even figure that out how would you like start on the concept of algebra like what did you need it for you know because like i get like addition like hey if i take two apples and then add three it's five you know but how would you come up with the concept of like algebra because what would you need it for you know what I mean? Like, what would you need it for back then? You didn't need it. So why would you come up with it? Now, she got tons of abuse for those questions. And, but the abuse was from people who didn't know a whole lot about maths, it seemed, because actual mathematicians and ast- astrophysicists were like, yeah, these are really good questions. And so she re- posted another update to it which we'll just listen to some of now. Hi, folks. I'd like to redo my TikTok about how math is not real, and I would like to be smart this time because <laughs> I didn't know that was going to go viral. My first question is how did people know what they were looking for when they started theorizing about formulas? Because I wouldn't know what to look for if I'm making up math. Question number two. Once they did find these formulas, how did they know that they were right? Because how? Number three, why is everyone being really mean to me on Twitter? (laughs) Number four, why did a physicist who's followed by Barack Obama retweet me? Number five, is this number five? I can't count. Number six, is anyone going to post this on Twitter? (laughs) Number seven, why are the only people who are disagreeing with me the ones who are dumb and the physicists and mathematicians are agreeing with me? And one of those people who replied to her was you, uh, mm-hmm. Eloise. And listening, we'll listen to a little bit of your reply. Hey, Gracie. I know I don't look like it, but I actually have a doctorate in astrophysics and I'm currently a researcher at a university. And I'm here to tell you that your questions were excellent questions and I have some answers that might help you. How do scientists or mathematicians know what they're looking for? Well, they define a problem. They have a problem and they want to solve it. And they're going to do it with the power of maths. Say I want to know how much makeup this square-ass clown needs to cover his whole face. And I already know how much makeup this tiny clown needs to cover his face. With my understanding of maths, I can create a simple formula that relates the two. And therefore, I solve my problem. It's a super basic analogy, but that's the idea. You have a problem and you use your pre-existing understanding to create a bunch of formulae that will help you solve it. How do you know where to start? Well, you practice maths and you learn maths and it can be really tough. And there's loads of areas of maths that look like magic to me. So how do we know if it works? Well, if your solution can explain past behaviors and predict future ones, you win. What was it, Eloise, that struck you about Gracie's questions? Why did you feel moved to reply? So what struck me was, uh, first of all, all of her questions were excellent and questions that I used to ask myself and questions that I asked myself multiple times, uh, especially the one where she's like, how did they think of that? Like every time we had a new like 
complicated co- mathematical concept explained to us at undergrad i was like how who the who came up with that how am i supposed to how am i supposed to figure this out um and it's just you know it's 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 part of your journey through maths and sciences to ask yourself these questions they're excellent questions and i was really mad at the reactions that she got because most of the people in her comments being like oh it's so obvious how do you not know that it's like a lot of the questions that she asked did not necessarily have like properly defined answers like you know how did they figure things out in the in in ancient Greece, that's uh, of the realm of uh, of history and, and the history of mathematics. It's it's not common knowledge, and the fact that people were acting as if it was is mind boggling to me. There were ju- there was just that superiority complex because probably because she's a young woman and society likes to shit on young women. And, yeah, uh, and, she, and of course she had the temerity to do it while putting on makeup, and obviously I know it's no, like oh, no asking good questions while maths. making yourself yeah. pretty like oh, it annoys me to to no end, and and it sparked really good conversations even on academic chatter on academic Twitter because we had conversations where people were like, do you think mathematics is created? Or is it discovered? And like yeah. mathematicians don't agree. They ever, it's, an, it's a matter of opinion. It's kind of a philosophical question. These are excellent conversation starters. And some yeah. idiots on the internet with a Dooney-Kruger effect who don't know enough to know what they don't know just came rolling in and shouted abuse at her. And I was like, no. <laughs> First yeah. of all, no. That was the question that actually of from the two videos, the one that, you know, freaked me out in a good way is... Is maths real? Because, you know, what is it like? Do the numbers float around out there in the universe? Like it's it's fucking huge, you know, like about whether maths, whether we have a mathematical universe or whether it's something that we've constructed to make sense. Uh, So I was thinking of doing this podcast anyway, but she sort of inspired what I want to get out of this whole thing, which is to be unafraid to ask the shit simple question like what? What is that thing? What color is it? Is it round? Is it? Can you touch it? And I think she's great. And I hope now she just gets on with her life and doesn't have to be like poster woman for girls in STEM. As yeah, I presume that happens a lot of you stick your head above the parapet and say, hey, I like this mm-hmm. stuff. And you're like, oh, can you do 100 seminars for us and help improve our percentages? <laughs> do you find that yourself? A little bit, a little bit. We do. Um, it's it's common with all sorts of minorities, uh, wherever you are. Uh, I had a friend at... Um, during my PhD, she's not only a woman, but uh, her father's from Iran, so she's a brown woman, and she was in all of the bloody pictures. And they tried to put her on like panels and things to try and increase the diversity. She was uh, she was very well aware of what was going on. One of the areas that you are involved in is machine learning, and mm-hmm. coincidentally, as I was looking up this area, there is a, a new story going around at the moment. It's from Scottish football, where an AI camera is providing the camera coverage of a game for supporters who can't attend the game in person. So they have a camera there, which is supposed to follow the ball, but the camera keeps on being distracted by the linesman's bald head. And obviously, it's programmed a certain way to know what a ball looks like, and it is making the best guess, but it keeps on being distracted by the linesman. Now, I know 
it must be annoying if if, I, if you say, oh, yeah, I do a bit of machine learning and then for people to bring you every vaguely AI related. <laughs> no, it's um, fine. Topic. I love these but stories. Tell me about machine learning and kind of take me back to basics uh, <laughs> just so I won't go around confusing it with three things that aren't machine learning. I mean, machine learning is such a such a wide umbrella term, to be fair. So what you're talking about here is definitely um, some sort of machine learning to do with image uh, recognition, it's probably going to be uh, some uh, neural network at play. A neural network, um, it's one of those words that's being thrown around a, uh, a lot, or deep learning, deep neural networks. Um, and at its heart, it's just a bunch of mathematical operations. And that's okay. one of the most fascinating things to me about deep learning. But uh, I'll get back to that in a minute because deep learning is a thing, but uh, it's not the only type of machine learning. Uh, there's um, things like decision trees uh, and loads and loads of other algorithms that are not to do with neural networks that are still very effective that can be used uh, for real life or scientific applications. So uh, it is a large, large area. Uh, first of all, machine learning itself. So the machine is a computer that learns mm-hmm. based on stuff it's done already. Is that right? It's Yeah, based on a data set that you provide. So um, there's two main, um, well, the, you can split it in different ways, but one of the ways you can split it is between supervised machine, machine learning and unsupervised. Supervised is where you provide a bunch of data with um, the answers. So you give your, for example, in your example with the, 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 the ball and the, and the bald-headed uh, guy, uh, you would provide your neural network with a whole bunch of images of um, balls and a whole bunch of images that don't have balls in them. We'll call it a football and not balls because otherwise I'm going to start giggling like a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> all, so, all, all idiotic giggling <laughs> is welcome on this podcast. It's, it's, uh, you, you are safe here. <laughs> um, so you'd provide your neural network, your machine, with a bunch of images of and with foot, just, uh, football. Just to yeah. jump in, just neural network. So neural, neural network. brain, it's, it's analogous yes. to it's brains. Yeah, so people used to, it's not, that's not how your brain works, but that's kind, that was kind of the idea behind the name, um, each neuron, each unit. So if we're talking about that, uh, let me talk a little bit about neural networks um, because it's fascinating to me. It's basically magic. Uh, basically, it's magic in the same sense that computers are magic. So c- computers at their heart, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros. And then if you put them together, you can get some logic gates, if you've ever heard of logic gates, like yeah. and, or, et cetera, et cetera. And if you put those together, you can do much more complicated operations, like sums and, and stuff like that. And if you put those together, you can do even more complicated things. But at the heart, it's just a bunch of ones and zeros. It's very simple mathematics that are put together in a certain way with loads and loads of layers of abstractions so you can get a movie playing or Netflix picking a movie for you. Well, in a similar sense, neural networks at their heart, it's just like when in maths you've got uh, that function y equals mx plus b, okay? Except in this case, um, <laughs> you've got not just a bunch of numbers uh, in your in your function, you've got entire arrays and, and, and loads and loads and loads of numbers. So it's more mathematical operations, but at their heart, they're relatively simple. Um, and on top of that, you put other functions that are a little bit more complicated, but not that much. And if you put all of those layers of abstractions together, you can get neural networks that recognize very complex patterns 
in data that you have provided for them. So they right? see some they see some stuff, they interpret it as instructions in an image and then they know what to the, do exactly. when they, they create see it. the instructions themselves. They're okay. like they're given uh, uh, they're given the data, they're given the answer in that case, and then they create the right instructions that they need in order to reproduce the results. And then and they, like might, the, they might get it wrong the first time and then they go back and they go back until they get close enough to the answer. Is that basically, basically yeah. is what it is. Um, and so what happened with that uh, poor bald headed man uh, was that uh, the shape of his head is very reminiscent of a football. And if in the data that they provided the, the neural network, they didn't have examples of bald headed men, bald headed people um, that were also given the tag not a football in okay. order to teach the neural network like this looks like it, but it isn't <laughs> so that the neural network could learn that there is actually a difference, then it could easily have been tricked. And that's something that can then be fixed in the future because it's a flaw that's been identified and the engineers that are taking care of that neural network can then feed more data to teach it a little bit more and make sure that doesn't happen in the future. So the machine learns a new lesson based on a mistake that it made and feedback. Yes. The, okay. more, the more data, the more lessons. <laughs> okay. So all of these equations, if you, if you went deep enough, you'd get to ones and zeros, and but basic kind of equations that we might recognize. In your area then, so you're using a bit of machine learning. You've got piles of data, I presume, because you've got swanky new telescopes sending in... <laughs> Uh, tons of terabytes of readings of lights flickering on and off. Um, so not so not all telescopes um, manage to gather terabytes of data. It can be difficult actually to get data um, from stars because they're really far away. You know, they're not they're, they're yeah. not always bright. A notepad file with like yes, three it, stars it, in it. You would be surprised. You would legit, legit be surprised when I actually. This is a completely a tangent, but this, but this is not a joke. When I um, uh, find papers from some of my colleagues, and I'm like, I'd like to have a look at that data. I ask them, Can I have the data in a text file, please? And they send it to me in a text file, and that's what <laughs> right. it is. It's yeah. fine. It's it's. There's no shame in little data. We do what we can yeah. with what we've got. Fortunately, um, I have plenty of data available because my boss actually has uh, simulations that simulate uh, like a mini universe in a computer that includes binary stars like we were talking about earlier, the stars that dance around each other and some stars that live their lives on their own. And the, you know, it's simulated over the course of their entire life to see what happens to them. And the idea is to be able to use this to train uh, a neural network or better understand the relationship between the observable, so the things you can actually observe uh, from the stars, so their light, <laughs> that's basically it, um, and their uh, and their actual properties, like how hot they are, uh, what kind of uh, age distribution they have, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, and that's basically the idea. Unfortunately, I have a lot of data because it's all simulations. Now, whether the simulations are correct, uh, we've got pretty good ideas that, that they actually are to, uh, to a large extent because they've been shown to uh, match very well with things that we've observed in the past. So this is actually really, really exciting. So you've got simulations based on stuff, on data you already have from before, and you're training your neural network, your machine to try and get to the answer 
that you know is at the end of the simulation. So you kind of you tell the machine, okay, when is when are these two black holes going to stop dancing and get together and stop stop messing about? And <laughs> machine so- machine learn machine predict it's going to happen in X billion years and then you can so you don't actually need a neural network to do that but what you do need a neural network for is like say i'm observing a bunch of stars in a galaxy and um i want to understand so one of the things we'd want to understand is if we see uh, like a bunch of neutron stars that explode that merge and they explode and they give us the gravitational waves um and we want to understand how they got here so What's the history? What's their history? The problem is that stars evolve on like millions, billions of years sort of timescales. So you're only getting a snapshot of that, of that galaxy. You see those stars merging and exploding. You have no way really of rolling back um, uh, in time. Uh, all you can do is take what you can observe now and compare it to our simulations to try okay. and understand like when did the stars, when were they born? How many of them are they? How much dust is there? Is there? How much dust was created by, the, by, by these stars? What's the sort of like chemical composition uh, of, of this uh, sort of region of, of, um, of, of space? And uh, what influence did that have on their evolution? And this way we can understand little by little, like piece by piece, how we need our stars to evolve in order to get us those neutron stars merging or those binary black holes merging. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. I I have this kind of image of the machine getting it right and you almost patting it and saying, good good boy, good girl. Um, It's, it's, do you, this neural network and this machine that you know what's at the heart of it, um, mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, if you drill down enough that you would get to some very cold figures and the, the infrastructure, the framework which supports it. Like, what do you think? What do you think of your machine that's learned stuff of your neural network? Does it start to take on uh, in the same way that we all shout at our computers? Does a neural network for you take on a personality? Does it does it feel what's the word uh, moody when it's not producing? Well, that's the way it feels a lot. So the thing with neural networks is that they don't just work. You have to um, like build them up and um, and test them and, and and try and get them to 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 place where they can actually apply on a large scale with like um, without without falling all over their face when they see something new, which can be the the trickiest part. And uh, I don't think my neural network is very nice. Uh, I don't. I don't think it's someone I would hang out with. I don't think I'd go to the <laughs> pub with it. I don't think we'd be friends. Um, but Do we you try envy- to be respectful. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. one of the things with machine learning uh, is that some people think, "Oh, AI will take over the world." You know, these uh, things can you know think for themselves, and like, no, they can't. The mo- even the most advanced, um, all they can do is perform the task they were designed to do. So, for example, image recognition can just do image recognition. They can't do translation. You need a completely different neural network, completely different methods, actually, in order to do translation. So these these are fantastic pieces of automation that can teach themselves, but they remain 
rather specialized. And the brain, like there, this, this idea that neural networks, you know, they're pretty much analogous to the brain, but they're really not. The brain is a fantastic machine, fantastic pattern recognition machine that is much more versatile than anything we can actually achieve uh, with machines uh, today. So, yeah, I don't know why I went on this tangent, but it's it's one of these things that strike me from people who don't who only see the headlines about machine learning and AI. And uh, I can tell you, it's not quite what they make it out to be. It's fantastic technology. In many ways, it's more than we ever can ever imagine when we're not in it. Uh, but it's it's also quite different. What has been your biggest triumph uh, in your job? What that where the the number spat out exactly oh. what you wanted and you were like, uh, your eureka moment. Have you had many over the course of your career where the sums, the maths just worked out right? No, but see, that's a very interesting point because I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about what being a scientist is like. Is people think it's like, we search, we search, we search, and then we, we're like, oh, eureka, I found the solution. But it's rarely like that. More often than not, good science starts with a, you're doing something and you get a result that's like, what the fuck is this? Completely unexpected. And so for a while, you're like, well, surely I messed up. And so you search. You're like, where did I mess it up? And then you'll realize, okay, I didn't mess it up. This is actually weird. That means I have to actually explain this. That, that means there's something, there is something that I did not expect that the universe can actually do and now I need to try and, and and understand it. And that is where your next question comes in. And that is where your research keeps keeps going, you know. Um, most of these eureka moments are basic, simple coding joys of, you know, my algorithm finally works. But when it comes to science itself, because it's such a grind to get to an answer, the most defining moments are not when you get to an answer because that's a long-term sort of grind. It's when you get new weird questions because you okay. see, you spot something you didn't expect. What are you most looking forward to in your job in the next year or so that you think is out there and you're circling and you're <laughs> iterating closer to it and some days are two steps forward? three steps yeah. back and you run you have to run you have to tweak the machine and teach it something else what what is what are you circling so at the moment my big overarching goal for whatever code i write at the moment is um to be able to look at the galaxy called ngc4993 which is a big phone number but it's fine i'll explain i promise that's okay. Um, and it's the galaxy. I, I was hoping you'd bring up that galaxy. It's, I'm very I know. It's it. my, it's, yeah. Isn't it your favorite? Isn't it like your favorite yes. galaxy? Aren't you don't so don't ask me to say its name again because I, <laughs> I, I know it by Gally. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, Gally, uh, it's the galaxy where we found the first and so far, uh, well, it's the first neutron star merger. So basically, I'll say what a neutron star is what a neutron star is for just a minute because I haven't explained it yet and some people might be lost because, you know, it's a maths uh, show and not necessarily an astronomy show. So a neutron star is a super dense, super dense object that's about the size of a city. It packs one and a half times the mass of the sun. It's a ball of neutrons and it comes in after a big massive star has gone supernova, so exploded at the end of its life and leaves behind a neutron star. A neutron star merger also creates gravitational waves and we found one uh, and we 
in 2017 where we also found the light from it. And so we could pinpoint the galaxy it was from. It's the only example we have so far where we've got the light as well as the gravitational waves, which is fantastic. And people have looked at this galaxy to try and understand, well, the properties I was talking about earlier, like when were the stars formed? How did all of that stuff evolve to give us um, this particular event uh, three years ago? But the problem is they looked at it with models that only include single stars in their simulations. And uh, you might remember that uh, gravitational waves come from binary stars. Okay. So, and binary so the, stars the have... Hidden, the hidden star hiding behind the star. I've seen melancholia. I know, I know all of this. <laughs> <laughs> and binary stars can change um, significantly how stars evolve. And so what I'm doing at the moment is um, coming up with a way to... Um, basically extract those parameters I was talking about, like when the stars are formed, all of that, all of that stuff, by comparing observations to our binary star models, the, the models that my the simulations that my boss has. And that's currently my job. And that's what I'm aiming towards. So I'm using a mixture of uh, heavy statistics, machine learning, uh, stuff that's already been done by colleagues and in like in astronomy. And I'm looking at uh, technologies developed by some machine learning uh, scientists in Auckland and trying to see what's the best way to go about it. And it's very novel and it's never been done with those simulations. And when we actually get um, to see what we, re- what, what we, what comes out of us, we'll properly be able to, uh, to compare with what we previously thought when we had this very naive understanding of stellar evolution that only included single stars and ha- exactly how different it is. Uh, and that's going to be very exciting for what we, currently know and understand of neutron star mergers. So you're looking at two heavy dudes merging, two heavy neutron stars, they merge. They're and girls, by the way. Of course, yes. I, I was. I, a star is female in French, and so I can never get out of my head that a star is a girl. I must look it up in. I must look it up in Irish, and it probably is in Irish as well too. That oh, these, these gender nouns have a habit of following each other around. Yeah, just to keep my promise, in Irish, or Gaelic as some of you know it, a star is Raelta, which is a first declension feminine noun, just like étoile in French. Raelta may ultimately come from Sanskrit. That's not relevant to this discussion, but I'm just saying that I know how to use Wiktionary. These two incredibly dense neutron stars, they merge, and fundamentally... Is it all part of a big quest of life, the universe and everything? Like, is it part, are you in one of the Department 4A of the engine room of the giant global machine to find out where we came from? Like, ultimately, Absolutely. is that where it's where at? 100%, 100%. It's all related in the sense of where did the components that were made of uh, come from? Because the only things formed in the Big Bang were hydrogen, helium, and traces of other things like lithium, whatever. Uh, Everything else had to be made in stars. Stars are the factories of the universe. And supernovae and kilonovae, so kilonovae, it's the the explosion that comes out of your neutron star merger. They are prime locations. It's prime real estate to form um, some of the most interesting elements in the universe. So supernovae, they do like carbon, oxygen, that kind of stuff. They do a bunch of iron. But there's loads and loads of elements that are super heavy and super dense in neutron. They need loads of neutrons in their 
like nucleus to to be so they need loads of neutrons to be formed uh, that can't be made easily in supernovae and so these neutron star mergers obviously if neutron stars merge there's loads of neutrons around so much easier to make uh, they are a prime location to make like uh, platinum gold silver rare earth elements that you've got right in your phone and your technology yeah. and uh, and we're just uh, I mean we kind of I think there was some it it, it, it did it didn't really come out of the blue uh, people people had a fair idea that that's that was a good location for these things to happen but uh, but there is a difference between ah we kind of think that it's what's going on and we actually have the data that fits exactly what what we thought was going on so that's super super exciting because it helps us fill the gaps in the in our astronomers periodic table of elements basically and a lot of those elements are making this conversation possible be it via smartphone or i presume Absolutely. all the semiconductors so you are trying to find out how we're talking to each other one or among all the other things that have resulted from it yeah exactly that's it's 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 one of those things where if you keep asking questions, you'll go through all of the different fields of science. And uh, if uh, you keep asking yourself where where we come from, uh, you know, what is life, then you're going to end up talking about massive stars and supernovae and neutron stars and stuff like that, because that's that's where the, the Lego bricks, that's where the building blocks have come from at the end of the day. And when you're in a job where you get, so close to the fringes of the start of the beginning of the answer to that kind of stuff. Are there tricks that a person who works in that area has to teach themselves to avoid having their mind blown and being utterly useless for the rest of the week? <laughs> like while you're staring oh. at their hands like you're stoned or something like is like when you consider questions like that, is it best to not look up and go, Dude, this is cool. It's you know, <laughs> what do you do? It's the exact opposite, mate. It's the exact opposite because my job my job is, it's very, it's, it's, if you, if you came to my office, you wouldn't believe how dull it might seem to someone who's not a programmer and, uh, and, a, and a big ass nerd, basically. I have got my day to day life is very similar to a data scientist or someone who works in finance. The biggest difference is that if I fuck up, your pensions don't disappear. Um, <laughs> But and presumably neither does a star. Right? Like you're, and, and, you're just looking the at the past. Yeah. The stars yeah. are absolutely fine. Yeah, completely fine. I, I promise you, not my fault. And uh, and and so it's really good to. That's one of the reasons that I personally like doing outreach, is because it allows you to take a step back from my code is not working, um, yeah. and and think about all of the amazing stuff that you're being a small incremental part of. You know, because on the day to, on a day to day basis, science is very slow. It's pretty frustrating. It's amazing, but frustrating. It's a grind. And you don't feel like you're making much progress, but it takes like an army of scientists to make significant progress. And so looking, taking a step back and being like, you know, I was a cog in that machinery and, and we did that and we're figuring this, this out. And this is really exciting. Um, it's really good for the, for the mind. And also it keeps things, um, it puts things in perspective. Let's put it that way, you know? Uh, when uh, when I've got a bad day or, or I cock something else or I cock something up, I'm like, oh well, you know, the Earth is going to be swallowed by the sun in about four billion <laughs> years anyway. There will be no trace left, so it's okay. <laughs> that is, uh, I'm going to put that on an inspirational quote and uh, 
posted to Facebook right now with uh, Lucida calligraphy, handwriting, uh, font and everything. Dr. Eloise Stevens, thank you so much for uh, just giving me a huge sense of perspective. And just I really liked the way we went from the very basic equations all the way up to the answer to life, the universe and everything. If you do find that answer, will you 42. come back on to tell me about it? Oh, yes, 42. Well, I'm I'm 42 at the moment. So <laughs> I feel like I feel like I know it answer. all anyway. <laughs> what the, and the question is, should should yet another person start a podcast? I don't know. Um, <laughs> so Eloise, thank you so much and best of luck with your work. Thank you so much, Cole. That's all from The Function Room this week. I really enjoy that. And I will definitely return to gravitational waves, black holes, artificial intelligence and bald linesmen in future episodes. Goodbye. that you need to ask yourself um and so Sorry, the, just in, just did you there, forget there, to right. record man and no i just thought i wonder if you could say all that we've talked about so far uh exactly the same way for no reason just for, As for no reason. Yes, that's that that's absolutely fine <laughs>